Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and literally around the world, this is another episode with your host, David J. Harris Jr. And today, friends, I have the honor and the privilege of having a very good friend of mine on the show. He has been a strong, strong supporter for the president since before he became president. He is the co-founder and senior pastor for New Spirit Revival Center and a board member for national for the National Diversity Coalition for the President. Uh, it is my honor to bring on Pastor Daryl Scott. Daryl, my brother, God bless how are you, you young doing man. today? Great, man. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good, considering the climate we're in. You know, our voices seem to carry a lot more weight right now, especially with all of the attention that's been given to black black voices. Um, so it's uh, it's a privilege to have you on today, so we could talk about some of that and the police reform uh, issue. Yeah, you were great. Just in Congress and got to literally lay down uh, the truth. I know I shared that video on my Facebook. It had four plus million views. Uh, hopefully, you got some good traction off of that. But what do you think? Let's let's start off there because I got a couple clips from that I want to play as well. What do you think the ultimate agenda is of the left of these Democrats of these politicians? that are actually pushing for and okay with the defunding of police? Well, the Democratic Party's actual agenda is to control the Senate, control Congress, and to regain the presidency. And so everything they're doing right now is simply an effort to pander for the black vote. You saw these clowns up there put on kente cloths and bow their knee and, 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 and go to white Wakanda you have uh, them thinking anything, they're saying anything they think they can say to garner votes, to solicit votes, not only from the liberal left, but from the black community. Uh, I really don't believe that if they did regain both you know, the House and the Senate and the presidency, they wouldn't be so quick to defund the, 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 the police officers then. But right now, anything that they think can help make this Trump administration look bad, that's what they want to do. Let me tell you something, man. These people, this liberal left hates Donald Trump so much that they would destroy this country to get him out of office. They really hate him that bad. It's like someone having a, a mouse in the house and they burn the whole house down just trying to kill the mouse. And so that's where they're at right now. And it's pretty sad. It's pretty despicable. And then there's also that sinister um, element that seeks to undermine the fiber of American society. And they're using this protest, they're using this George Floyd event as a cover for their sinister activity. These anarchists, this Antifa, um, all of these elements that seek to undermine socialism, uh, all of these elements that seek to introduce all of this are using George Floyd's death as a cover and using protests as a cover for their nefarious activity. So there's a lot going on right now. Well, I know you do so much behind the scenes that you don't get credit for that the mainstream media doesn't want to show. Obviously, CNN, MSNBC, none of them want to talk, want to talk about it. But you go to a lot of cities around the country and you hold events and you'll garner, you know, thousands of black individuals that are willing to come and listen to and hear what you've got to share. What has been the sentiment? I don't know how long it's been since you had one of these, since this whole COVID pandemic has shut down so much travel, but what had the sentiment been from the individuals that you were hearing uh, speak to you once they heard some of the truths that you share about what this administration has done for black America and for us, us as a country? 
the sentiment has been overwhelmingly hospitable and receptive. And the thing that makes it amazing is the fact that our primary crowd is uh, Democrats, black Democrats that are interested in hearing the message of President Trump's not only accomplishments and initiatives, but um, his endeavors as well. And they come out and they, they have an ear to hear and a heart to receive. And they've been very, very receptive. We've changed a lot of minds. We've opened a lot of eyes and made a lot of people aware of the positive advances that Donald Trump has for the black community. And you know what else? A lot of them are saying, listen, we just want to do what's best for us. And we're open to hearing what this president has to say because you know the messaging hasn't been getting out there. I'll give you an example. You know my partner, Kareem. Kareem and I talked to a young lady two weeks ago a little over two weeks ago, that represents a coalition of African-American mayors from across the country, numbering in the... And so we were engaging with her and talking about formulating a sit-down with the president, with these African-American mayors, and we began to tell her, and it was right on the heels of the George Floyd incident, and we told her, you said, we said, well, you know, as soon as the George Floyd incident occurred, the president expressed his displeasure and how disturbing it was and how uh, tragic it was. I said, then he turned around and dispatched the Department of Justice and the FBI to see if any civil rights or human rights violations had taken place. And you know what she said? She said, I didn't know that. I didn't hear about it at all. And I said, well, wait a minute. Uh, what do you mean? I never saw or heard it. I said, because the media sources that you rely upon to get your information will not report it. So you need to expand your horizon and stop listening to only one side because you will not ever get the truth. And so she was very receptive to having the mayors come. A lot of them would be Democratic mayors to have a sit down because there are a lot of people on the other side of the political spectrum that genuinely desire to do good by their community and they'll receive the assistance and the help from the government and they don't want to play party politics. Yeah, I try to be very cognizant of that. It's it's hard to remember. I'm so glad that you pointed that out. It can be hard for me that shares the news, that has these podcasts daily, uh, that's constantly seeing the the barrage, a nonstop assault from not just the mainstream media, but so many Democrat politicians, these elected leaders that are supposed to be serving us, serving their communities. It can be it can be easy to forget that there's a lot of Democrats, a lot of Democrat mayors, as you're saying, a lot of Democrat politicians. I, I, I try not to throw all the all the politicians together in one bundle, but uh, obviously I'm trying to always reach the, the centrist Democrats as well and say, wake up. Is this really what you want from your party? But to find out that there is a, a coalition of black Democrat mayors that say we want what's best for our community. There's no way, shape or form that they want this destruction that so many mayors and so many governors are allowing to take place in their cities. And it's minority communities that are really gonna get hit the hardest uh, when when they go through and ravage these areas. Uh, exactly, you know, I, I grew up, I was born in 1958. I grew up in the 60s. Um, I witnessed the riots. Uh, my wife had tanks literally rolled down her street and I watched the devastation in the communities. You know, some friends and I were talking about it recently, how certain areas of inner city Cleveland never recovered from the riots of the 60s. There were businesses that left that never came back. There were stores that got boarded up that never unboarded. You know, my wife would take me through her old neighborhood when her and I were courting and dating. And this was in the early 80s and late 70s. She would say, 
well, this furniture store used to be right here and a department store used to be right here. This area used to be really, really nice. And I asked her, what happened? She said, the riots came in. And once the riots came in, it never recovered to this day. There's a lot of urban blight in urban communities that are result that are the result of riots of days gone past. And there will be urban blight in urban communities in, in decades going forward that will be the result of the riots today. It's very unfortunate that we will riot and we'll do damage to our own community. You know, I tweeted something the other day and I said it jokingly, but seriously, I said, I wonder how many people in Minneapolis wanted to run up to Target real quick this Saturday and couldn't. Here it is a couple of weeks later, they don't have a Target, they don't have an auto zone, they don't have a certain um, uh, retail establishments that were fixtures in the community that were there for their convenience and they don't have them anymore and they really didn't hurt anyone but themselves. I don't understand that. It, it makes no sense to me at all. And that shows me that there was a lot of outside agitation there that uh, motivated them to react the way they did. Yeah, and it's, that's been proven. I actually was, uh, I was at my chiropractor this morning and he shared with me one of the guys that he adjusts uh, is a police officer in Dallas. And he said, I believe it was, he was speaking about just this last weekend. He said that they had arrested 18 people and he said, none of them were from Dallas. They were all from out of state. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's very unfortunate that we allow ourselves sometime to be manipulated. Um, there's a script in the Bible that says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And it, it's not ignorance that plagues the black community because we're not an ignorant people. But it's um, a lack of proper information. You know, we rely on a narrow uh, field of media sources. So there are things that are going on that can help us that we are not aware of. And as a result, we're perishing because of that. But I think we're going to be all right. People are beginning to wake up and beginning to expand their horizons. And um, we're beginning to win a number over to our side. I will say this. You know, I, I was digging through my phone the other day and I found something and I actually posted it. I knew I had done it, but I didn't know any video footage of it existed. I opened up the very first Trump rally he ever had back in October 2015. It was down in Georgia. It was actually there where I met Bruce Lavelle. He was there. And um, I looked at the size of the crowd and I looked at the stage and I looked at the little sign that was in the back. And I told myself, we've come a long way. And the crowd was maybe 98 percent white, even though, you know, they had no problem with with me there opening it up. Herman Cain was there as well. Uh, you know, what I find significant is the fact that on Trump's very first rally, two black dudes opened it up, myself and Herman Cain. But the thing is, we wound up garnering 8% of the black vote. I really believe we're going to have more than that now. Um, there are a lot of people now that are more vocal about their support of Donald Trump. And there are more that, even though they aren't vocal, they will support this Donald Trump presidency. So I really believe we're in good shape with the black community going forward. Um, I want us to hold on to the 8% that we do have though. You know, when I was out in the streets, there was a term called hustling backwards. I don't wanna be hustling backwards out here. And we lose, we don't lose the 8%. You know, we have to make sure we refine our activities and endeavors so that in endeavoring to draw people, we are not offensive to them. You know, we're not we're not going to. And, and, and I have to say this, David, and you know me and you and I are friends and, and I consider you a good friend. But we we're not going to offend or insult anyone into supporting Donald Trump. We're not going to offend or insult anyone over to our side. 
the way that we do it is through education and through enlightenment. And when Kareem and I would go into these cities and we would talk about the opportunity zones and we would talk about the policy and the legislation and the initiatives and the accomplishments of the administration, then people would be able to ask questions. And when we would give them clarity, they would say, oh, I never knew that. Well, wait a minute. I'm going to have to rethink my opinion of this guy because if he's doing all that, and they would all say, well, why isn't anyone telling us this? I'll say, well, because they don't want you to know. And so, you know, you can win more flies with honey <laughs> than you can with vinegar. So I think that's something that, you know, a segment of us need to work on that, we can't look at ourselves as superior to others as we're enlightened and others are unenlightened. We don't want to look at it like that. I said this, if I'm being over talkative, just feel free to interrupt me because uh, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here drinking, drinking caffeine and, and I'm going. But um, when we talked about the black vote in um, 2016 and we got 8% and that even surprised a lot of people. You know, I remember when he was polling at 0%. And I went on a program with Tamron Hall, and she brought up to me that he was polling at 0%. And I said, no, it's more than 0%. I said, it's just a lot of people that they don't want to argue with their friends or family or coworkers over this, but they're going to vote for Donald Trump. And I coined a term for them. I said, I named them the Incog Negroes. <laughs> and so a lot, of the a lot of the Incog Negroes have come out of the closet. But here's one thing I, I say regarding uh, where we are now. We got 8% of the black vote last time. So that means we didn't get 92% of the black vote during 20, the 2016 election. So that means let's just say 100% of the black voters either voted Democrat or Republican. If we got 8%, then 92% went Republican. So that means 92% of black voters, excuse me, went Democrat. 92% of black voters went Democrat. So that means 92% of black intelligentsia, black academia, black entrepreneurs, black school teachers, black um, college professors, black business owners, black supervisors, black managers, black laborers, 92% went to the Democratic Party. We can't say that these people are dumb and stupid because they went over to the Democratic Party. You understand what I'm saying? We have to make sure we message our messaging has to be such that it appeals to them and it enlightens them and it entices them to at least give us a chance. When Donald Trump said, what do you have to lose? What he was saying was, give me a shot. Give me a chance. It can, it, it, the worst thing that can happen is that it stays the way it is. But we're not going to insult these people. I can't tell people you're dumb, you're stupid because you don't think like me. I'm not going, you know what? That would build up a natural offense. They will naturally say, well, this person called me dumb. I can't receive from them. This person called me stupid. I can't receive from them. So the one thing I think we need to work on, and I've said this to the administration, is our messaging to the black community. We have to make sure that our messaging is a little more concise and our messaging is more appealing to those that we are endeavoring to draw. Because if our motivation is to help them, then we have to let, me see, let them see that we want to help them to help us make our community better. Yes. Now, as far as what, what are some of the other things? You know, I'm constantly touting the president's achievements, historical record funding for HBCUs, uh, historically low unemployment for the black community, prison reform, uh, first step, second step act. The opportunity zones are one of the newest things that have just broken loose and started to hit. 
uh, because of the tax reform bill, I actually had uh, Julio Gonzalez, a uh, finance expert on. And one of the biggest things that he pointed out to me was that if Joe Biden was to win, he's already said he wants to rescind the tax reform bill, which means opportunity zones would go away. Man, you know, Kareem um, coined a term for Joe Biden. I told him I was going to steal it and put it out there first. Jim Crow Joe. <laughs> Jim Crow Joe would try to undo and undermine and reverse a whole lot of positive initiatives that Donald Trump has done for the black community. The thing that was genius about the Opportunity Zones is that it incentivizes private investors to invest their money in the urban and distressed areas of the country. And as a result of that, we didn't have to go through Congress or Senate or get any legislation passed in order to secure funding. And so we didn't have to have funding measures that Congress blocks and funding measures that they don't want to push through. No, this is all private investors. We built it as the largest public-private partnership in American history, and it is. It's been put on pause because of this pandemic, but it's going to be cut back loose again, and they're actually about to expand the program and designate more opportunity zones, and it's going to be great for the African-American community. But Jim Crow Joe, well, I mean, really, if you want to know the truth, if, you had Jim, if Jim Crow Joe had his way, we'd be back in separate but equal facilities, drinking out of different water fountains and different things like that. Let me tell you something. Jim Crow Joe said that Robert Byrd was his mentor. He, he had remarks at his funeral and, and semi-eulogized him. Jim Crow Joe is a product of his times and his upbringing the same way we are. And his, his he, he was a product of the Jim Crow era. He was a product of times when of segregation and desegregation. And during those times, he embraced it. He didn't reject it. Jim Crow Joe opposed busing. He opposed, uh, you know, he was one that was probably one that was in favor of miscegenation, which is the mingling and intermarrying of blacks and whites. You know, he was very vocal about it at a time when it was not politically harmful to be vocal about it. He opposed desegregation. He opposes integration. He opposed a lot of that. But now that it's not politically expedient to embrace them views, he's trying to change his tone. But that's still in his heart. And, um, you know, he, and every now and then, if you, if you let, let him talk long enough, it's going to come out. I'd like to take a moment and tell you about the most useful app on my phone. You know, it's hard to find the time to sit down, to read, and to learn more. But I always feel like I need to. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information, from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I like Blinkist because I can listen to it while driving in my car, while traveling, while making breakfast or working out. I loved listening to this book, Start With Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Harris. Try it for free for seven days 
and save 25% off of your new subscription. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Harris to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash Harris. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Harris to start your free seven-day trial. Well, I think the I think the comfort at which he so eloquently said to Charlemagne the God and to his entire audience of any black people, which is a majority black folks that are watching Charlemagne, uh, he just so clearly and so unequivocally had no issue whatsoever saying, if you don't know who you're voting for, me or Trump, you ain't black. Coming from a white man that grew up in a time of segregation, that opposed busing, uh, that opposed interracial inter, uh, relationships mixing, that that honored uh, segregationists and work with them. Does the black community, are they, are they seeing and hearing what we are? Man, listen, here's the thing that got me. Charlemagne popped out and sat there and let him say it. That's the part that aggravates me because if Donald Trump had sat on there and said something like that, Charlemagne would have tried to tear him up. If I went on there and said, if you don't vote, vote for Joe Biden, you're not black. Or if I went on there and said, think about this. If Donald Trump had come on a Sean a, a, a Hannity show or Tucker Carlson and said, if you don't vote for Donald, if you're white and you don't vote for Donald Trump, you're not white. Oh, my God. It would have been a, a national catastrophe out here. And Charlemagne punked out. Charlemagne punked out and let Joe Biden get away with saying that. And the collective black community, a lot of other high profile blacks punked out right along with it. And so once again, you know what they did? They valued party over principle. And these are guys that are supposed to be so outspoken on behalf of the black community. They let that guy get away. They let a white guy. You, you couldn't let a black guy get away with that, let alone let a white guy get away with saying that. An old white guy who the Democratic Party said all white men pose an ex existential uh, threat to the United States of America. And you let him sit there and say that. And there were, you know, there were, there were some mild expressions of dissatisfaction, but there was no, no huge outrage over it. They keep trying to find a way to give Jim Crow Joe a pass. One guy said to me, well, you know, uh, I, I had to do a program with someone and I played the clip of Joe Biden in 1994 when he was promoting that time, that, that crime bill. And Joe was on there talking about how he didn't want his family members to feel threatened by black people and calling us predators and all that. And so the host of the program asked me, because it was a Democrat program, they asked me, well, when was this? I said, 1994. They said, oh, that's, that's 26 years ago. You can't, that was then, you can't bring it up now. I said, you can't? They said, no, I said, I don't wanna hear anything else about no Central Park Five. I don't want to hear anything else about I don't want to hear anything else about all this crap you bringing up on Trump there. I said this was in recent memory. Uh, so so don't try to act like I said and the effects and the repercussions are still today. Joe to believe me, let me tell you something. Joe Biden does not want race to be an issue during this campaign because there are so many documented videos and there's so much documentation on Joe's negative remarks regarding and negative opinions regarding the black community, he better go a different way than race. Believe me, he better try to talk about something else because race, he'll kill itself. Jim Crow Joe will be exposed for the races that he is. 
Well, I think it was I think it was beautiful when the president said that he just needs to stay in his uh, his what do you call it his his own little island his his own little uh, autonomous zone in his basement or whatever the president said. Every <laughs> 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 time Joe talks, I love that Jim Crow Joe though. That is accurate. Every time he talks, so he it just seems to be more ammunition for people to wake up. That's all we want. We just want people to wake up and stop drinking and believe in the, the Kool-Aid. It's been nonstop propaganda from the left, from the liberal media, and from these Democrat politicians. I think it was Tim Kaine that just uh, was just speaking in front of Congress and basically said that he blamed slavery on America. He said, we invented <laughs> <laughs> Well... Maybe we need to tell maybe we need to tell the ancient Israelites that they weren't really slaves in Egypt. <laughs> slavery has been a long, slavery has been around as long as there's been I won't even say civilization, uncivilization. Uh, there was slavery. Slavery existed on a number of continents. It's an ancient custom that still exists in some parts of the world today. And so I'm not legitimizing it or justifying it. I'm simply saying that it exists in America. To be honest, America as a country and, and uh, embraced slavery for a very short time. I mean, it was less than less than 100 years of us as a national, as a legitimate country. I'm not saying on North America, it came along earlier, but you know, we became a country in 1776. And by 1876, slavery had been a memory, had been over for a decade. We're the only country that fought a civil war to end slavery. I mean, so we woke up pretty fast and there was always a faction in America that didn't embrace slavery. And so, you know, slavery was bad. It was horrible, but it's over. And I thank God that it doesn't exist anymore. And um, I mean, it's, 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 it's a complicated issue simply because how much is enough? You know, what, what value do you put on it? It's almost like if we give you all some money, you'll be okay. I mean, it's almost like uh, it, it's, it's complicated. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pretend to act like <laughs> I have the answer, but I will tell you this much. <laughs> you know I got to be me, David. You know me, right? You know I got to be me. If they start handing out reparation checks, I'm cashing mine. <laughs> I'm not going to advocate. I'm not going to advocate for it. I'm not going to advocate for it. I'm not going to advocate against it. But if they start handing out reparation checks, I'm cashing mine. Bob Johnson said, give us $13 trillion. I'm not going to oppose it. I'm not going to endorse it. But if they do hand it out, I'm cashing my check, man. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm cashing mine. I, I got to be truthful. I'm cashing my check. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how many black people that didn't like President Trump cashed their stimulus check? <laughs> I had, you know what? We had a lot of people that called us, and you know what they said? They would call us and say, hey, man, I got my money from Trump. Trump's, I got my Trump stimulus check. Or Trump, they attributed the money to the president. And I would say, I thought you didn't like it. See? And they would say, hey, man, look, that, that's not even, that doesn't matter whether I like him or not. <laughs> I got that check. And, I, and it, I looked up and it was in my bank account. So, 
It is what it is. Uh, yeah. What time? I think I have something coming up. Um, man, time flies when we're having fun. Community policing is a very viable option to address the needs of inner city communities. Having police in the communities to actually get to know the residents is the best way to obtain the results that we all want. When I was growing up, the residents and the business owners knew the police officers that were assigned to our neighborhoods and their presence was a deterrent to criminal activity. So in short, defunding of police departments in America has already happened. And it has proven to be an epic fail. We cannot allow that paradigm to continue if we want the neighborhoods of America to be safe to live in, the streets of America to be safe for residents to walk on, and the communities of America conducive for businesses to thrive in. Hey. You want to know what's funny? You want to know what's funny? True story, true story. Um, Congressman Jim Jordan had called me and requested that I come up and testify, right? And so I thought, I thought it meant they was going to put me up and ask me some questions. So the night before I had to go, and I had to get up at 6.45 a.m. to catch a plane. It was about midnight, and my wife said, now you know you're going to have to make an opening statement. I said, an opening statement, where? She said, for Congress. For Congress what? She said, no, that's how it goes. You got to get up and give a statement for about five or six minutes. A statement? Yeah, oh, crap. I had to jump up out the bed and run in my office. And I'm going to be honest, I put that together <laughs> the night before. It's like you have to, it was like cramming for a finals or something. And, and I had to put that together the night before. So I was hoping it would be effective, man. But, you know, being a preacher, and I've been pastoring my church for 26 years, me putting together last minute messages is, is you know, something that I'm, used to doing if I have to do, but I didn't even know I was going to have to say that until I'm telling you it was midnight. I got out of the bed, ran into my office and had to put something, put something on paper to have for the next day. So I was like, pray my strength in the Lord. <laughs> it was in you. It came out. It nailed so many points. It was personal. It was factual. It was uh, historical from what you mentioned from from seeing the police being defunded in Cleveland and it was exactly what yeah. America's need, America needed to hear it's what Congress needed to hear so I thank you so much for that now I know you've got a new book your book is out it's it's uh it's on Amazon it's called nothing to lose it's got a beautiful picture of you and the president right there nothing to lose unlikely allies in the in the struggle for a better black America from pastor Daryl Scott give us an overview of what somebody will get when they when they read that book well, you know, I think it's it, the, the more I read over the manuscript again, it gets more interesting. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, your own life is not that exciting. It just is what it is. But it chronicles, you know, I met Donald Trump back in uh, 2011 and um, it chronicles our first meeting. And people will be surprised to find out the very first words that came out of my mouth when I talked to Donald Trump. The very first thing I said to him was word on the street is you're a racist. And so that began our relationship, yeah. And so I chronicle it in the book and go all the way up to and through 2015. It has a lot of behind the scenes uh, incidences, my interaction with the campaign going forward, election night, 
a lot of private conversations I had with the president. Um, Michael Cohen, I'll talk about his, his situation. Um, Amarosa is mentioned. Uh, and then I'll tell my backstory, how a black dude from the streets wound up with this white dude from New York, billionaires running for president. And so I think it's a great story. It tells about my how I came out the streets, how I became a Christian, and and, and the events surrounding my, my born again experience. And so I think it's going to be a, a good read. I feel better about it the more I read it. And I was talking to somebody yesterday. We were talking about this journey that we're on, and um, the last statement in the book um, that I think sums the whole book up. My very fat last sentence in the book says, it's been a hell of a ride. <laughs> so I think you'll find it very interesting. You can go to pre-order it on Amazon.com and it'll be released in September. Well, I think it's exactly what we need to hear. Uh, so glad that you that you uh, wrote the book. Uh, please, my audience, listening, viewing, go pre-order Pastor Daryl Scott's book. We need individuals like him with his head on straight, his heart on straight, with the history he's got, uh, that with the support that he's been given to this president and this administration. We need more individuals like him, and we need to support him as much as we can. So final thoughts, final words. What's your message of hope for everybody listening right now where there's so much chaos, so much uncertainty. What's your message of hope to all of us right now? Well, first and foremost, as a man of God, I will say this, the answer to the ills of society is Jesus Christ and him crucified. But I also think that this this unrest, you know, to be honest, David, we saw this in 2016. And there's another scripture in the Bible said, it says, this too shall pass. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's political. Every four years, the Democrats play, pin the races on the Republican, and they're doing what they can to discredit this administration. But I remember back in 2015, uh, myself and some others were involved in some controversy around supporting Donald Trump. We were being attacked pretty hard in the media. And I told him, I said, hey, man, keep your chin up. This will be yesterday's news tomorrow. And so I really believe that, you know, this weapon is formed against this country but it will not be allowed to prosper. God still has his hand on this nation. If there's one believer, one Christian believer in this nation, God is obligated to protect this nation for the, on that believer's behalf. So I believe that God's hand is still on our nation. He's gonna bring us through this time. He's gonna preserve us from this evil and we keep our faces set like a flint. We trust in God. We trust in our government. We stay focused, we stay diligent and we watch what happens. Good is going to triumph over evil. And um, uh, the, the forces of darkness are not going to have their way in our country. I really believe that. And so um, we're going to be all right. We're going to come through this. It's beginning to diminish. It's beginning to taper off. And we have strong leadership in, in high places. The president is, is a strong leader. And he's going to navigate us through this national, national storm. Well, I agree with you. I, I hear the hope in there. I hope that it gives everybody hope and encouragement. Uh, I know it does me. Just the simplicity of the message, this too shall pass. We've got the right administration. His heart's in the right place. His head's in the right place. And uh, and the, 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 the leeway that he gives you ministers, you pastors, you spiritual leaders, the leeway that oh, he yeah. gives you guys when you speak, speaks volumes uh, to his character. Oh, yes. To his... Uh, uh, to his honor, to what you guys represent. Oh, yes. He took the muzzle off of preachers through an executive order, and we can be more outspoken 
and our support for him. And I thank the president for doing that. And I thank him for allowing preachers to have a voice. You know, he said to us back in um, 2015, he said, you know, while you guys were all pursuing a higher calling, I was building buildings. It's time for me to catch up. And that insinuated that he believed that what we do was a higher calling than what he does. And so he's been very generous with um, uh, encouraging preachers to speak out regarding the condition of America and allow us to speak into his life and uh, helping give him spiritual counsel. And, and I appreciate that, you know, I appreciate that access he gives us. Well, I'm sure there's some of that and so much more in the book. So friends, family, get the book, pre-order the book, uh, Nothing to Lose by Pastor Daryl Scott on Amazon. Pastor, my friend, thank you so, so much for joining me today. God bless you. I pray he gets you, gives you rest peace and just uh, strengthens you for the fight that we're in. But it's an honor to be in this fight with you, my brother. It's an honor to come on, man. Thank you. I pray for your continued success as well. You, my brother, you, my friend, anything you need, if I can do it, it's done. You have not because you ask not. I mean that, man. I, I, I love you. I mean it. Thank you. God bless you. I appreciate you. God bless you. Bye-bye. God bless you too. Friends, there you have it, uh, an interview that uh, should go around the world. If you haven't uh, already shared this, if you're listening to this on podcast, please share it with 5, 10, 25 friends. They need to hear what Pastor Daryl Scott has to say. And a quick word from my sponsor, my wife and I's own company, uncorkedliving.com. If you want to feel better than you felt in years, if you want to sleep better than you've slept in years, and literally that's what we hear from some of our customers, some of the testimonials that we've heard uh, have been truly life-changing. I take all of the products myself at uncorkedliving.com. We've got a super fruit juice that's designed to be a replacement for coffee. It's better for you than coffee. It's filled with anti-inflammatory benefits, anti-aging, antioxidant benefits from the super fruits, and the herbal blend is designed to give you mental clarity and focus. It's called Uncorked, and I'm drinking it even right now. I drink it every single day. Our detox formula is designed to detox and cleanse the body, targeting the, the gallbladder, the liver, and the colon. Uh, you take one capsule at night with a full glass of water, let it go to work while you sleep, and you wake up and your body has a really good bowel movement. It goes to work to break up the, the gunk that sticks to the inside of the GI tract, our lining, that actually helps, uh, that, that reduces good nutrient absorption. So it gets rid of that. It, it, it breaks that up and flushes it out, uh, relieves bloating. You'll feel so much better. And our sleep formula is called Dream. And we always hear people say that they actually dream a whole lot better once they take our product. Uh, I mix that within Mike's pillows and, and sheets and mattress at mypillow.com. But uh, Dream helps me get to sleep. And then uh, and helps me stay asleep while I'm while I'm while I'm dreaming. Normally, I dream a lot. And then our whole food plant plant based multi mineral multivitamin is called Revive Plus. Uh, it literally packs about ten different bottles of supplements into one bottle with three tablets you take. And the beautiful thing is the uh, the combination of these are powerful. They're potent and they dissolve. You could put a tablet in a in a glass of water and it would literally dissolve in fifteen minutes, which means your body is going to get the full effect of every all the good nutrients uh, that are in there, all the good vitamins and minerals that are in there. So that complete co co combination we have at uncorkedliving.com. Use the code David. You'll get an extra discount. And, uh, and just, I know you'll feel better. We believe there's a better you bottled up. So get uncorked today. Go to uncorkedliving.com and use that code David. And that's a great way to support me and my mission to bring the truth and the news to you and make you healthier in the process. God bless you all. Thank you so, so much for tuning in today. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye.